0: Hi folks, your hosts Ben and Britt here from the Paddle Movement podcast. Today we're welcoming the world's leading content creator in paddle in the English language, Sandy Farkasen. Sandy's a trailblazer for paddle across what we like to call the new paddle world, the countries where the sport is picking up where the likes of Spain and Argentina have long led the way. From the UAE to the UK and right across other emerging paddle markets, Sandy's online paddle coaching company, The Paddle School, has become the go-to bible for anyone looking to hone their skills and for players of all levels. A former tennis player who went on to coach on the ATP and WTA tours, Sandy was introduced to paddle when spending a decade living in Dubai. And in this episode, he tells us about how he came to coach Sheikh Hamdan, become the rackets manager at the UAE's renowned NAS Sports Complex, And how, alongside his brother Tom, he's now inspiring players of all levels to pick up a racket and join the crusade for the world's fastest growing sport. All this and more to come. So enjoy the show. Well, hi, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Paddle Movement. Uh, great Great to have you join the show. How are you? How are you getting on?
1: Absolute pleasure to be here, Ben. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, getting on, getting on well. Um, busy as ever, but uh, a good busy.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Well, we'll start. Um, get started straight away on um, looking. Obviously, contextualising with the paddle school. Um, that's very much about education and imparting knowledge and, and giving essentially a community um knowledge about a sport that you've obviously picked up over the years. What's um when would you say that started, that sort of passion for education? Was that something you had as a kid and growing up? You always liked learning and had that sort of thirst for, for knowledge?
1: Um, I I wish I wish that were the case, Ben, but it probably it probably wasn't that. It probably wasn't until um I was more involved in my brother's tennis career in a way because I, my my brother's 8 years younger than I was and so I went through all the the junior tennis years and and kind of my own training and then it was really only later on when when he was coming up I I noticed a real kind of lack of support for for him and and his training and and um you know when he was kind of going through his important years in in tennis you, you know early teens I was um, in in college in the states, and I could just see his, you know, the, the way his career was panning out, and I, that it was almost a, a level of kind of frustration that there wasn't the support for him, and and also, you know, a, a feeling that really, you know, there should be something that support players coming through, and tennis is obviously a lot further down the line than paddle, but it was um, it was that that point that I, I felt it would have, it would have been good to have something like that in tennis.
2: Is your brother still competing? Is he playing professionally or?
1: No. So he, he stopped competing about four or five years ago and uh, he reached about 380 ATP. And, and he had a very, I mean, he was a very good wow. player, a very talented player. Uh, won junior Wimbledon doubles and played, you know, played a lot of the the pros that you see on the the circuit now. And as a junior did very well. And, and he just got. He went through a, a series of, of injuries and knockbacks throughout that that period. I mean, he went full time from about twelve years old, and um, which at the time, you know, to specialize at, at that that age and to to almost homeschool and, and go that down that direction is is a massive step both for the player and for the parents and the family and things like that. And so, um, it was interesting watching that journey. I coached him for a number of years on on the ATP tour. And he stopped out four or five years ago and went and did his degree and master's in Amsterdam um, in international business. And then about a year and a half ago, he's moved in with me into the paddle school and and paddle is his focus. And and now actually he's trying to um, develop that side of his game and he's going to Madrid a lot and, and doing a lot of training with, with some pros and, and, you know, really trying to, Um, you know develop develop his paddle game.
0: I want to come on to um, obviously the paddle school and kind of how you how you brought Tom on and you know the the whole journey to get there and obviously the coaching years etc but going way back to your own childhood what were your kind of ambitions if you can remember back then you know as a child as a youth growing up what did you think you wanted to do obviously tennis you went on to tennis but was there other ambitions what was what was the situation back then
1: it it was interesting I I grew up probably until about the age of 13 being um multi I I played multi-sport I I played tennis twice a week as I did several other sports and musical instruments loads like I just had a real broad range of of things I was doing and and looking back I love that and and at the age of 13 I basically got a tennis scholarship to a secondary a secondary school and part of part of that scholarship was to give up everything else um, and at the time you know tennis was probably one of those sports that I, w- I don't even know if I would say I was best at but it was a sport that was so difficult for other players that, that it was one of the sports that I would excel at or, or be further ahead than others and so I made that decision at the time you know 13 years old not really knowing the the consequences of that and essentially gave up all those other all those other sports and, and areas and, and I mean I don't look back and and regret it because it's tennis has got me this far it took me to college in the states it's taken me to, to where I am now but um you know as a uh, you know in my youth I would say that I, I love playing multiple sports and if I was being specific about it team sports really um you know and that's one was one of my struggles with tennis um, as a junior, but also when I played on the tour, even coaching on the tour, it, it's a it's a really difficult sport, at, you know, at an individual level.
2: Hundred percent, I couldn't agree with you more. I was also thinking like I grew up playing tennis, and I used to play soccer and volleyball, and it was always like, oh, I played all of these dis- different sports, but at some point, you kind of have to like sacrifice those and just stick to one. It's either like you're good at a whole bunch of sports or really good at one. So I understand that sacrifice you made. And you make it at such a young age,
1: you, you know, like it, you make that that decision between yourself and your parents and and often parents are not necessarily from that sporting background. You know, I think and this is why you see certain players excel, you know, the Murrays, for example excelling that their, their parents or that their mum specifically was was in that sport so they understood how to navigate those waters whereas my, my parents were not from a tennis background they were from sport but not tennis and so for them to navigate you're, you're learning and I was the, I'm the oldest of four and and so I was almost the the guinea pig that learning for my younger brother but it's it's not an easy it's not an easy road for for you as a player or for your parents
0: you're sort of learning on the job, aren't you? Really, it's um, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a lifestyle as well, isn't it? You're learning, you know, the parents are learning what they have to sacrifice and what they have to do, and you know, the best ways of making sure you can be the best talent you can. Um, and you're learning yeah. as a kid.
1: Yeah, and your parents are they're putting their trust in the feder like federations or or clubs or or areas that they feel should know more, and and that's probably why you would see you know judy murray taking andy to go and train in spain <laughs> he wasn't you know she she knew better or she knew the right path for him and and there are you know many examples of, of this in in different countries it's not to do with the uk or anything like that but it, it uh it definitely helps to to understand the path of, of the player in that sport
2: sure and you know i wanted to ask you um so obviously you're really good when you're 18 did you think about play, playing pro then, or you always wanted to go the college route? How did you come to that decision, and where did you end up playing at the university? Yeah, I made the decision
1: to for college really at the last minute. Um, I had a place at, in a UK university. I, I thought, you know, I was going to go more in the in the direction of studies, and um, there was a, just a scout, a, a college scout, at one of the national competitions here, and they basically suggested, hey, you know, instead of starting university this year, why don't you take a gap year and go to a a university in the US and play that year tennis and then see if you want to stay there, you can. And if you want to come back to the UK, you've still got your place. And I made that decision. And looking back, that was one of the best decisions I've made. I I absolutely loved college. Um, I probably would have done it slightly different. I, I would have done more preparation and and maybe gone to a different college. I went to uh, Texas Arlington, so it's it's probably you know that wouldn't be my choice again geographically where to go. But um, the idea of playing tennis, an individual sport in a team, I, I just absolutely loved it, and it it really taught me a lot about my tennis and and how to compete. And I mean, y- you know what it's like. You, you just get such a volume of training and matches and conditioning that really I think it's also been something that set me up well for for playing paddle and for learning paddle and and competing in in paddle
2: of course yeah I feel like playing college tennis is like a full-time job with the weight with the weight room training school balancing everything so I think it prepares you for life and whichever career path you end up um, falling into definitely and so you say you might have wanted to switch universities if you could go back where would you want to if you could do it all over again?
1: Um I don't know whether I had had somewhere specific in mind. I know I know that when I finished the the four years I thought right I need to to get out of Texas get out of Arlington. I mean it, it's a very um spaced out location um and I feel like had I have been somewhere that was Probably a little bit more connected to 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 a city to to what I was used to. I probably would have stayed and done you know a grad a grad there and, and continued continued there. Um, I think probably if I'd done it again, I would have approached college with much more preparation. Spoken to a lot more colleges. I in my first year I had a, a, a small smaller scholarship to to Baylor, and I didn't at the time. I mean, it's so foreign for us in the UK about college. So. There was no one really guiding us of, you know, what is an NCAA you did one, did two, what you know, what does that scholarship mean? What like we had no idea at that stage. And and really by the time you've learned what it means and where you could have gone, you're already in your second and third year, you've got your team around, you've got the coach that you like working with. It, it's then very difficult to, to make a transfer, plus you lose credits and things like that. And so um I think my only my only change that I would have done would be to have approached it with a bit more, a bit more understanding probably.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I guess for Europeans in general, it's like a whole new world over there. Um, Me growing up in Miami, I was always like, I want to play for the university of Miami, um, play for D1. So, so yeah, I think we could probably do a podcast on like what it's like to play (laughs) college tennis in the States. (laughs) And it was the
1: learning. The learning was interesting for me as well. Like in my first semester, I did like political science of Texas and a speech class. And, you know, in the UK, you go from doing all the subjects to going down to GCSEs to going down to A-levels. And and you're constantly narrowing your focus. And then to go into first year of, of college and have a really broad selection of classes and 101s in various subjects was um eye-opening but also like quite a challenge to (laughs) to almost broaden yourself back out again
2: yeah it's like having too many options is like almost worse (laughs) go ahead ben
0: no i was gonna say so then you obviously you went on to coaching uh coaching roles back in the uk um and then subsequently france take us through that chapter um and what was you know what was your intention then obviously to to build up your career in the uk and then you had an opportunity to to go and do um, go and do some work down in the south of France. So t- take us through that ch- time.
1: Yeah, so I, I finished finished college and um, really didn't know what I wanted to do next. And so I did a master's, which is probably a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of uh, people kind of that's their reason for doing the masters. Um, so I did a master's in biomechanics of, of performance, and then um, played at the same time. And one of the great things about the French system for tennis is they have their 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 team games and their tournament system so i would go and play for a french team in the summers and and it was a good way to earn a bit of money but also play a really like strong level of competition and so i did that and on my the year that i'd finished my masters there were there was a a player that was um about to embark on the wta tour and she needed a coach she needed a hitting partner and so and I started working with her. And and, I mean, I'd already spent four years in Texas, I I was at boarding school for 13 to 18. So I I didn't feel like for me to move to south of France, the only kind of obstacle was the language. And and that was not easy, because I arrived and my first weekend I had I think 18 kids across two or three courts in French. And I, my oh, French was, how was your French? Pigeon, <laughs> pigeon French at best. It was, <laughs> it was a really, it was a real challenge. And, um, but I, I, I really, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And, you know, I did a lot of traveling, um, with, with, with the player and, and develop them. And, and when I started, she was unranked and, by the time I finished, I think she was about two hundred and fifty in the world or something like that, so you, you go through that whole process of um you, you know the, the future circuit and satellites at the time or challenger et etc and so it was it was really good learning for for a couple of years and eventually, if it wasn't for the French paperwork system to 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 do anything over there, I probably would have stayed um, but the the system of even for me, I had my my degree and my master's, a strength and conditioning certification. I, you know, I, I was I was very well qualified for what I was doing, but to get it done in a French system would have taken me years uh, to go through it in French. And so, in the end, I just I, I thought I, it's difficult for me to progress my career here unless I I start again. And so, um, that's what really prompted me to to move from South France.
0: And then, of course, you went on to Dubai and spent about 10 years of your life there. Um, I think you went a similar time to me at Transpire, but we, we never met at the time. But um, you you were in tennis, obviously, still then. Before, so before you moved into paddle, you know, had that I suppose kind of paddle moment or moments that led to a, a bit of a shift. What was uh, what was it like? What was the the intention again behind moving to somewhere like Dubai, totally different type of environment? Obviously, a lot of expats, different part of the world, different climate. What was um, what was that experience like?
1: So I'd spent the last few years on the tour, that with the WTA tour with with that player and then with my brother, and I had just really had enough of living out of my suitcase you know airport courts hotel airport courts hotel week after week and I just thought right I really want to to do something where I'm I'm based somewhere and I, I still was a bit of a nomad in a way that I didn't have any strings attached and I hadn't been to Dubai and I thought right let's let's go there I mean you know if you're going to start something in an academy why not start somewhere that is is really from scratch and so I went there with the intention of helping a, a company build their their tennis academy, and we we went on with um, a great group of coaches at the time, and it was it was a really interesting experience for me because all of my past coaching had been. Um, performance it had been you know making minor adjustments for very high level players on how we can get an extra couple of percent from their game Um, and and my background in sports therapy and and strength and conditioning meant I was also working with them physically and and so to go from that environment to a an academy for it was essentially recreational players and um, in the UAE it wasn't it, it was almost the opposite of performance in that really we we had lots of adult beginners. We had lots of people that had not had a racket sports background, and um, I, I, I taught everything. I had, um, you know, a group of, of Down syndrome kids that I was teaching them to play. I had some some adult beginners. I had a few juniors that were coming through the school system, and it was it was really interesting for me. And I think part of the reason that I fell in love with paddle so quickly after that was was the difficulty in teaching tennis to adult beginners. Uh, I just felt like, and and, you know, I learned so much about teaching from having those lessons. Um just you know, and the, particularly the Down syndrome group, because I just had to explain it in such a way that, um, it, it you know, I could always be understood. And I think it, it really, really helped my ability to coach. Um, and and added to the fact that. Um, My experience in in France, obviously I was coaching as a second language and I, so, so every time I was coaching in English in France and it was the same in the UAE, I really had to break my language down. And I think that's part of the reason now that a lot of our videos resonate with people where English is their second language, because I, I'm I'm used to doing that. I, I mean, I spent several years teaching that, like teaching sport in that type of manner. And so, um, yeah that that's really I I went there for tennis and then I coincidentally fell into paddle.
0: Yeah so they like like you said there those kind of moments almost laid the groundwork for having to be a great communicator which is obviously you know a huge a huge amount of what you do at the paddle school it's coaching but it is communication. Tell us then about that segue to paddle so how did that come about?
1: Yeah so I basically decided that I was going to take another direction and come back to the UK to to continue the tennis. I'd been there for about a year and a half in Dubai and, and felt like, you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't quite set up the way I was, I was looking. And so um I canceled my visa, I sold my furniture. I was, you know, I was on my way out, bags were packed and someone dropped out of a a paddle tournament and there were only two paddle courts, two public paddle courts in, in the UAE at the time. <laughs> and um yeah, compared to over 500 now. And so, um, you know, I thought, right, I'll give this game a go. I had a quite a strong squash background, like growing up as a kid, and and my, my my tennis obviously was a higher level. So, I thought, you know, how how difficult can it be? And and so we we played this tournament, and um, we just we kept doing well in the tournament. We kept going forward, and it and it's not because my level was particularly high. I can I can tell you now, it was more that the level was so low of everyone else. Um, And, you know, we got to the night of the final and and I had my flight booked. I think it was like a midnight flight or a 1 a.m. flight. And our final was a a 10 p.m. start because it was a Ramadan tournament. And so we we played that final with my suitcases on the side of the court and and I loved the tournament by the way because it was my it was my taste of college again where we were a team and we were playing you know it was all of us going through and and so I absolutely loved the tournament itself and then we ended up winning that tournament, and I found out basically that the tournament was being hosted by His Highness Sheikh Hamdan, so the, the Crown Prince of Dubai, in in his amazing facility. I mean, I, I obviously worked that out during the during the space of the tournament, and on my way to the airport from the final, I I basically spoke to the management of Nas Sports Complex, which is the name of of his facility, and they said, "Look, would you be interested in?" Being the rackets manager, and I said, you know, look, you—I've gone from twenty years of tennis to, you know, not—they didn't have at the time tennis courts to going and and leading leading their paddle side of things. I said, look, I just really don't feel equipped for it. Um, You know, I I want to make sure if I do this that I'm I'm really immersed in paddle and, and I understand paddle. So I said, look, I'll take this job on if you allow me to do as much training in paddle as I would like and it sounds easy now but that decision at the time was basically going into a sport that no one had heard of that no one spoke English and all my background was in a completely different sport and so it was it was why it wasn't it wasn't a quick decision but I made the decision eventually I mean they said yes to the training I made the decision and so immediately started and set up. Uh, you know, several training camps in in Spain, um, and and my my Spanish was was not very good. Um, I, I was going to say at the time, but it's not very good now either. Um, <laughs> but it uh, yeah. So I had a, a translator for the courses, and um, you know, one of the the very very fortunate things is that the employer there was not really a a problem with with funding, or uh, you know that they, they spared no expense for my learning, which I can only be grateful for, and so. I, I took that opportunity and really spent, you know, those next few years spending as much time as I could with top players, top coaches, um, and, and just making as much as I could in, in the paddle world.
2: I have a question for you. So as you're doing this training, um, you're coming from the tennis background. What, what sort of advice would you give for people who are coming from tennis, transitioning to, into paddle? Um, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's and
1: that's an interesting question. I mean, my brother has recently done that journey, and and so from a from a sport like a technical perspective, it's 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 basics like you know get used to using the glass and you know learn the different variety of overheads. I, I mean, essentially, it's it's admit or or understand that it is a different sport. Like the moment the moment you do that, I think you you unlock this this idea of you know now I need to learn paddle whereas if you go into paddle and you play like a tennis player and you chip and charge and you play fast and you're playing with your tennis player friends you you might do well or you might think that you're improving and you might be improving because you understand the game a little bit more but the moment that you accept that it is a different game and, and one of the hardest things for me and I'm sure you can uh, understand this as well is is fighting that tennis instinct to finish points and, you know, and and understanding that a paddle point goes from attack to defence to attack to defence. And it's very unlike a tennis point. If you get into an easy attacking position or an attacking position in tennis, it's very unlikely that you're then going to go back into defence and then attack again and to defend, you know. So it was almost just uh, understanding and appreciating that it was a different sport i think would be would be my first piece of ad- advice for for tennis players and tennis coaches
2: i'm sure i'm sure even the best tennis players who are transitioning to paddle they're still like always learning but at what point or how long do you think it takes for a good tennis player to say, like, I'm a good paddle player?
1: Oh, this is really difficult, R- really difficult, because I, I, I think that the the learning curve at the beginning is really fast. If, if you are being taught, like if, if you're being taught to, to make those changes, it's really fast. But there's almost a, a second element I feel with paddling that it sinks in over the, the number of years that you play the sport. And and it's difficult to explain that, but when you when you start out, you're playing the game and, and you think you're playing well, your Viva is getting better, your your Bandeka, your the way you play the sport is getting better, and you play different opponents, you start to understand how different opponents play and how you can win certain matches. But there's almost like a, a second layer of understanding that just sinks in as the more you play and, and the greater the volume. And so I'd say, look, if you are a good tennis player, and I'm talking, you know, college, pro, or, or whatever the division, but you can probably transition to a decent paddle player in in the space of a, a year, maybe or two years. But it will be at least, I think, five or six years before you you really can like envelop the game, if that makes sense.
0: Similar, similar question, but in, it's probably not a hard and fast. Answer here, but what about squash? You played squash growing up i I played squash and tennis growing up um there are obviously people that come in from squash to paddle. We don't hear about it maybe as much perhaps because the profile of the sport is lesser than tennis globally i don't know, but uh would you say there's an advantage of being a half decent squash player versus a half decent tennis player if you're coming into paddle or is it not a case by case situation
1: i think if you're if you're talking um just as as a recreational player to to, to begin with, I think um there's probably more of an advantage to come from tennis in that um the the technique is probably a little bit more similar the ball is more similar and and technically i feel like and and this may not be very popular but i feel like tennis is a more difficult sport technically to play um interestingly i think squash tactically is 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 more complex and so um you know squash players obviously are very more you know much more comfortable around the glass they're actually also much more comfortable at working points and understanding how to um force their opponents into different positions and and how to to maximize uh space on a court but i i actually think at a recreational level it it, it can also hold both of those back because what happens is tennis players come onto a paddle court and they think oh i've got this it's very similar to tennis i don't need lessons and they start playing and playing. Whereas non-racket sports players, they often think, "Oh, I'm not. I've not played other racket sports. I'm going to take lessons straight away," and therefore they might start at a disadvantage initially. But if they get lessons early on, they they will catch up. And I, I, I've been on court and coached some really, really good players that have not come from either racket sport background. So I think. Again, it comes back to that appreciation. It, whether you're a squash player or a tennis player, appreciate is is a different sport.
0: Coming back to Dubai, um, the paddle school. So, how did that all begin?
1: Yeah, so I think my, my my journey into the the education in Spain probably took three, four, five years. And and I, look, I I think that you never stop educating yourself. But I think that really, I immersed myself. In those three or four years, and and in those three or four years, I went from playing tennis and coaching it six days a week to not actually touching a tennis racket for those years, and it was only paddle. And um, I then was giving a lot of lessons. I felt like I was just explaining the same. You know what it's like. You, you as a, as a coach, you you're explaining the same sequence of events and you're getting the same questions and so initially I just thought right I'll make a few videos for my students and I'll put it on YouTube because that seems an easy place for them all to access and I didn't have many students at the time it is a private facility so maybe a dozen or 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 less and so I made those those videos for them and and it is public on on YouTube and then I started seeing that the viewer's you know, the views were going up and, and I have to say it didn't, it wasn't that quick (laughs) for anyone who starts a YouTube channel. It doesn't, it, even nowadays, it doesn't go that quick. And so, you know, the first three or four, four months, I'm you know, I'm talking 10 or 12 views on, on each video. And, but suddenly I was, it was, it was starting to grow and, um, I was getting, you know, a few hundred and I was thinking, well, I haven't got a few hundred players that I'm coaching. So I wonder who's watching and then I'll look and I'll see, actually 90 percent is is from sweden and yeah probably my own students weren't watching it as much as they should have been yeah. but but the swedes the swedes were and 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 the game was was starting to take off there and so then they started asking questions and and then i was making videos for for their quest to answer their questions and that's when um that's when it started gathering momentum because once they had asked the questions the videos then became much more specific in what they're looking for. And, and so um, it, it's been a bit of that question and answer, even to, even to this day, there's, you know, every, every, almost every day we get questions. And so those questions then start forming the the next set of content. And, um, and that, that's how I started really with a, with an iPhone. Um, and in, I was, I was lucky that I was in a great facility, you know, it was, it was very quiet. I had the time. And so, um it it basically started from there and and it has yeah continued since really
2: yeah I mean I love all of your content um I'm, I'm learning so much and you really go into like the the basics and it's always nice to even for I'm sure professionals to even review the basics to more complex um tactical stuff so where where can we find you it's is it um only YouTube, Instagram, or where where can we find you for, for anyone who wants to be involved with the Paddle School?
1: Yeah, so I mean we're on pretty much all the social media. We have a, a, a Paddle School podcast. We have our YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Um I mean we, we try and do a good job of of putting content across all the platforms. Um and it, it didn't obviously it started with just YouTube as as that was you know, enough for me to be taking on, on my own, um, once I'm filming and then I'm editing and I'm a very slow editor. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the first, one of the first things I did was get a video editor. So I can't claim, um, you know, I can't claim the credit for the quality of the graphics and the videos. Um, but, but yeah, so that, that's where you would find, find me and the content across all those platforms.
0: And obviously by trade, you're a coach, if we can kind of give give that label. But then, you know, the word influencer and content creator is, you know, commonplace these days. But, you know, even back then, probably heard less frequently. How did you see this evolving back then? If you can try and put yourself in the shoes, the early days of the paddle school, how do you think, you know, this is actually going to evolve? And and this can fit very much into a model that people are following across any any sector, any industry these days, content creation is a huge, huge asset for people to tap into. What did you sort of have that vision and think? Actually, yeah, this is going to grow and grow. This is the way coaching is going. Even what were your what were your sort of motivations? I guess
1: um, it was difficult at the, at the time. I was just really enjoying making videos and editing videos, and it was it was a new skill I was learning at the time, and and I was fortunate that I, I i knew early on that it was important to be consistent and also to put out the best quality possible. You know, and so at a very if you look back in into the videos and now when we talk about consistency, I've posted a, a YouTube video every Monday for seven years. And I realised, yeah, I realized that um you know a, a couple of months into it, I thought, you know, I'm my video editing skills will take me so far, but any ad revenue which isn't a lot that comes from um youtube it just went straight uh, straight to the editor it still does to this day uh, it, it, it co- barely covers their fee but i knew that was really important to to kind of reinvest that back into the editing and 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 nowadays i mean the system is a lot more complicated especially as we're posting across different platforms there's scheduling there's you know your your, your videography is is much more important and so I, I had no idea at the time that it would it would go in this direction. Um, but I, I did know that I was enjoying educating more people than I could fit on a single paddle core.
0: And then obviously getting to today, you brought Tom on, on board, um, your brother. Tell, tell us about that. That must be obviously personally... personally a nice thing but also you know kind of almost a logical step you've both had racket sports careers um in different in different guises and different phases but um how's it been having Tom on board and um and are you enjoying you know doing it with someone I guess
1: yes and and to answer that second question first it was um a huge thing to have someone to to do this with and and it initially felt like the tennis career you know if you're if you're traveling and doing all of it on your own, it, it, it's difficult. And I always knew that I would want Tom on board. He, I mean, we have we have a similar background in racket sports, but we're also very different personalities. And I kind of need um, his structure, his attention to detail. I mean, he's a, a perfectionist in the in the true kind of meaning of that word. And so, you know, I I think it's been really helpful to have someone of of his, not only of his. Kind of personality and background but also you know that he studied and worked in consulting and strategy and um, it, it's been it's been really really useful to have um that support and also that support in someone that you trust fully um you know a, a, a big part of growing any business and I, i'm not speaking from a, a great wealth of experience but it seems that um your team is is absolutely key and so um if you've got your you know someone that you trust like that then it then it's a it's definitely an advantage
2: do you ever do you ever play any doubles with tom
1: We've we we have done uh, we have done a few times. Um, we we played we played a little bit while he was just starting, and he basically said, "I'm not playing again with you until I've gone and trained and 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 got to a level." Because he found that very frustrating. Because he he was a lot better than me at tennis, and so he found it very frustrating that. Um, and and this for me, this still comes down to that that I was talking about earlier about those years of experience and and kind of growth within the game, and so. Um, yeah, we play we play together now, and and um, he is physically in great shape. So I like to put him on the left, and I kind of you know let him do most of the running. But yeah, I, we we do enjoy playing playing some doubles together for sure.
0: And then in terms of you know the paddle school's future as well as well as your kind of bread and butter, I suppose you've got new avenues, haven't you? New business strands. So you know the tours side of things is something I've seen you talk about more and more. What what opportunities does that present? Do you think paddle paddle tours?
1: Yeah so we we've started doing some some paddle holidays and we really enjoy those because we get the same group of players um for a period of time across the four four days for example and and that means that often when we go on on trips we we might only get students for one session and and therefore it's very difficult to make a a permanent change in in one session but when we've got players for four days it's brilliant because you know we we do a video analysis of them at the beginning of of the trip of the, of the holiday and then we develop their game and then by the end we give them that analysis back with our with our viewpoints and so you can really see some some great improvements over the, those days and and it's it's more rewarding for us as well we really get to know um the, the the players and a lot of them come from our our community so we have a an online membership that um is basically our way of guiding players through their their paddle journey, and they they send in their videos to to get those analysed, and we do match analysis, and we 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 try and provide a lot of help along the way.
2: And you you mentioned Tom right now is in Madrid, or is in Spain, is that right?
1: He was until a couple of days ago, yeah, yeah. So he was in in Madrid training out there at, at one of the academies, and uh, yeah, now he's back in in the UK. He's actually visiting some clubs up up north um, in the UK.
2: Nice. Well, next time he's in town, you'll have, you'll have to let me know. I'd love to play with him. So, so I'm based in Madrid, so.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah. you also have the, the benefit of having lots of good players
2: around you. Yeah, 100 percent. And great academies, great coaches. I think it's like one of the best place, places to learn paddle other than the paddle school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for adding that in <laughs> <laughs> um
0: last question for me sandy before we kind of um drill a few quickfire questions at you but um growth markets for the sport so that's obviously i can you know i can see that's a passion for you as well seeing the sport arrive in these new parts of the world where do you think the sport is going to grow fastest in the coming years
1: i mean if, if we look at our analytics and i, I enjoy doing this it's um you know we we obviously we it's quite nice because we get to see which countries are are then developing the game and and still to this to this day i mean less than 7% of our audience on youtube for example is the english speaking countries combined so us uk australia south africa all of them together make up less than 6% pop. and and i'm not saying that's a, a fact across number of paddle players in the world but it is a very low percentage so i see the potential growth in UK, US, Australia, South Africa. I, I, I really do think that the game will will take off there.
0: You know, we're seeing it's, I find it quite enjoyable from my side of the fence, obviously helping promote the sport, seeing, you know, the first paddle caught in New Zealand, for example, and you're thinking, well, wow, you know, you're not really, someone of my age, you've not really had this in your life where you've had essentially a new sport, um, you know, arrive in these countries that are massive, you know, sporting powerhouses. New Zealand's a great sporting, a small nation, but a great sporting nation. And here it has its first proper facility. So it's, you know, it's amazing sort of seeing these, these um, yeah, courts crop up um, in a way you've not really witnessed before. Yeah.
1: And, and I think it's, you know, it's just one of those sports that you can start as an adult. And and so it's it's sociable, particularly um, you know following the the years of COVID. I, I, I think it's it's one of those it's one of those games, and I obviously don't need to to persuade the two of you. But it's it's one of those games that it is so enjoyable to play that it really sells itself, and and people can get involved of of any age, fitness level, et cetera. And so I think it's uh, yeah, it will continue to grow.
2: Um, well, here's our favorite part of the interview. It's some quick, uh, quick fire questions. So, if you were to have a dinner and you can invite three famous people, who is going to be at your table? That's
1: a that is a tough question. Just to have three, I think um, one of the first one of my first invites would be uh, Jimmy Donaldson, the Mr. Beast, and it's not just because he's a YouTuber, but what he's done. Following that has been, in, in, I just think it's incredible what what the the work he's done and 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 um, you know him as a person, the way he's he's developed. Um, I think, uh, you know, a, a, an industry leader, an entrepreneur industry industry leader like a Jeff Bezos or a Elon Musk or Richard Branson, one of these would be fantastic. And then um, I think my third would be probably Roger Federer. I mean, you can't you know he he was my you know he's a childhood hero you can't not have roger federer at an event like that
2: yeah i love those answers okay so one food you can't live without
1: um this is gonna sound so random but probably avocado
2: Mm. (laughs) love
1: avocado
0: i'm there with you i'm there with you that makes
2: three of us (laughs) um and best movie of all time (laughs) um Oh, I, I, yeah I mean so many I'm I, I do
1: enjoy movies so um I, I would probably go for one of the Lord of the Rings trilogies one one of those I think it was uh I, it's mainly because I love the books and it was something that you know from my, again from from childhood so yeah I would go with one of one of those those movies
2: nice I'm actually just watching that for the first time I'm on the second movie <laughs> oh wow <Yeah. laughs> Okay. Um okay, go to karaoke song or pre-match song. <laughs> um
1: yeah, when I answer this, it doesn't mean that I'm doing this a lot at karaoke. <laughs> but, um yeah. I would say a pa- maybe a, like a power a power ballad by <laughs> someone like <laughs> bonnie tyler you know holding out for hero or something something like that would definitely get me up something uplifting <laughs> yeah exactly yeah
2: amazing and last one <laughs> if you could have any superpower what would you want
1: um i would love the power of hindsight that would be my that would be my super superhero power i don't think you know necessarily particularly doing what we're doing now and and all of you know our whole conversation here was looking back at, at your past and um, I think that would be a really cool some superpower to have. Yeah, fantastic, love
0: that. Sandy. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been insightful. Um, a great recap on where the paddle school is and where you're going. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. And we're looking forward to seeing seeing everything evolve with with the paddle school and uh, and your career.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a been a pleasure.
0: Well, thanks very much to our early listeners. We're really appreciative at all the positive um, early response we've had to the show. But don't forget to follow or subscribe as this really helps us grow and helps grow our community and helps get us the best guests uh, for our upcoming episodes. Um, And so that you can hear really the best highlights for all that's going on in the paddle industry out there. And don't forget to let us know your thoughts and send us a quick 30 second voice note to movement at gmail.com. Tell us who you are, what you want us to talk about and what question you might want us to answer on an upcoming episode so do check out our other shows as well just a reminder the motormouth f1 podcast and the omg moto GB podcast as well which are part of the motormouth media network and final thing we've got our socials up and running as you know on instagram on twitter or x as it's now known uh, it's paddle movement uh, on twitter and paddle movement pod on instagram or tiktok But for now, it's goodbye from Brit.
2: Bye, everybody. See you soon.
0: And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening.